Good morning. My name is Samuel Postma. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading from, the, from John chapter 15, selected verses, in the New American Standard Bible. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, and, and, also, and I also and have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he, would give, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. The word of the Lord. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Today we're going to continue in the series in the book of John called The Son of God. And I want to start with this question. When you look at your life, what do you measure? How do you know that you're living the life you want to live, that life that you believe in, the life that you feel you were meant for? How do you choose your priorities? What's important? How do you choose what matters, what's really meaningful for you? We have a lot of options in our culture, in our society these days, and my observation and testimony is that everybody's really, really busy. Everybody has stuff to do. They have lists they want to get through. They have uh, agendas and priorities. They have obligations. They have commitments. And they have uh, leisurely activities they have to do as part of their self-care and rhythm in life. But how do you figure out what choices to make? So to that end, I want to ask a couple more questions. What is the difference between busyness and productivity? What is the relationship between activity, and we're getting to the message now, what is the relationship between activity and fruit? Which do you value more, productivity or fruitfulness? What matters? I have come to the conclusion that life is more than doing. 
Life is even more than being. Life is about fruit. And you were made to bear fruit. And that's the angle we're going to start with today. I, um, you know, one of the roles that I play, and it's an important one that I often kind of neglect, and it is maybe one of the more important things in my life, maybe the most important, but it gets sidetracked. It gets deprioritized regularly. Uh, but being a dad, being a parent is really really important. And when you become a parent, you know, you are faced with challenges and twists and turns, and you're up against things you don't have experience in. But I looked within myself for resources. I looked, I even took a parenting class. I read books. I talked to the other families. I studied other broader disciplines, and I tried to apply it to parenting. And I came, I landed on this, the single most important resource that I have to be a good dad is my own dad. It's how I was parented. And I didn't choose that. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily aware of how good of a job my parents are doing sewing into me. But when I turned to this brand new task of being a parent, all I have is what I was already given. I can only be who I am. I can only draw from this one reservoir that was filled up by other people. This is what I know. And if I'm going to improve, I can work hard, but the ceiling I have to fight through, break through to get better and better as a parent, and maybe even better than my parents were to me, it requires input into me that overflows and breaks that ceiling, but I can't just decide to do it. In other words, I can't give what I don't have. I can't be, in the long run, who I am not. And here's what Jesus taught. We can only produce results in our life that's as good as the soil we are uh, embedded in. This is what he taught. He, this was a, a natural... A, a, a metaphor from nature that persisted through life for Jesus. He talked about the importance of fruit, and he asked questions like, can a good fruit come from a bad tree? Is that possible? And the answer was no. You're only good as your soil. And so I want to think about this metaphor today. Two points. One, be loved. And two, be loved. We start with be loved in verses 4 to 6. I'll read it for us again. Abide in me, and I in you. That's connection. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Just pause there for a second. Can a branch bear fruit all on its own without it being connected to the trunk or the vine and that being connected to the soil? Is it possible? No, no it's not. So neither, Jesus says, can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus hasn't said anything radical yet. That's just a description of how things work. And then this is where he begins to inform us a little bit more specifically. This vine that you're supposed to be connected to, he says, I am the vine. Did you know that? That's revelatory right there. I know you think that other thing is the vine, 
I know you think that other thing, it's, it's the soil that you need to be planted in, but Jesus says, no, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and so if you abide in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, because apart from the vine or me, you can do nothing. So if the principle holds that the branch has to be connected to the vine, which is embedded in the soil to bear fruit, and that's true, then we have to ask, well, what's the vine? And Jesus says, I am the vine. And just like in nature, unless you abide in me, you can't bear fruit. And then he goes on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Meaning, if you don't bear fruit, nothing lasts because fruit is all that remains. And let's think about that in nature. What happens when a tree bears fruit? Its job, it's done. And the tree can go, but as long as there is fruit, that tree remains because that tree is in the fruit. And then that fruit gets planted and it bears more fruit, and it goes on forever. There's a perpetual cycle that results from this first act of remaining in the vine. That's all. And then he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, now he added something else here. He's not just talking about being connected, but he's talking about something flowing through that connection. My words abide in you. Those are like the nutrients. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. So when you belong to me, Jesus is saying, then you become something else because my words begin to penetrate you, begins to influence you, begins to form who you are and what you are. There's some genetic DNA that you are created with, and that DNA is latent until my words start flowing into you and these words begin to activate your DNA. It's no longer latent, it comes to life. It begins to express itself, it's gene expression. So you stay connected, you belong, and then you become something. My father is glorified by this, that, the result of that, is you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples, prove that you are connected to the vine. So you connect to the vine, the nutrients flow, and then you begin to change, and you begin to express your DNA, you bear fruit, and you prove that you're connected to the vine. The fruit is the proof. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my... Now we get another little bit more information. These words that Jesus talked about, the words aren't just the literal words the way we understand it. But Jesus says, my words are love. Just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So to abide in Christ means to abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, that's connected to the vine, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So I think all of this kind of makes sense. If, if I wasn't a Christian, if I was just coming to this and I kind of thought about it and broke it down, I used my English literature skills from, you know, 25 years ago, it makes sense. It works, logically. 
Uh, I want to tell this story about this woman that I talked to this week because she doesn't go to our church. She's a, a parishioner from a few churches ago. And she reached out to me and asked if we can talk. So I called her up, and she told me the story of her childhood trauma that I didn't know about. She was um, uh, abused as a child. She grew up really, really rough. She was thrown around like a rag doll, and she was beat on a regular basis. She was the only child. She had nowhere and nobody and no place to turn to. She was all alone, and all she could do, she had no inner resources to talk back or fight back or to even run away or anything like that. She just endured day after day after day of abuse, and I had no idea. And she had really kind of shoved it aside, and she had moved on with her life, but she's a a mom now, and uh, she's got several kids, and she's beginning to see her Mom and dad coming through her own parenting style in the, in the phrases and her reactions. And she's beginning to, uh, as an outsider, kind of see the childhood toxicity kind of replicate, kind of show up in her present-day family, and it freaked her out. And that was the impetus for her reaching out to me. And as I was listening to her, and I walked with her for years, and I know her, and I know her husband, and you know, we've done a lot of life together. I just sat there in my basement couch, and I just couldn't speak. I just was, just tears are flowing down my face. I couldn't hold it back. I didn't even have words to say. That was how that conversation went. And I realized, because as she was saying this, she says, Peter, I know God loves me. I know God loves me, but I don't know how to love my kids the way God loves me. I keep loving my kids the way my parents, quote-unquote, loved me. And we talked about how right now, her job, her biggest, most important job in life is to somehow find her way back to God's love for her. This truth and love. She has to get back to that, and she has to connect to it, and words need to flow from God to her and begin to change her. She needs to become somebody that she currently isn't. And if she doesn't do that, what she is is going to flow out of her because those stressful moments are going to sneak up on her. It's going to cut her, and she's going to bleed whatever was flowing through her veins. And so we prayed at the end of it. We prayed that somehow she can connect to God and his love and his words can course through her veins. And that's what can shape who she is and how she reacts and what kind of mom she is. She has these default settings and somehow she needs a whole new set of settings that she gets to choose. But what about you? That's her story. What about you? How do you know what love is? How do you know if you are reacting in a life-giving, truthful, loving, helpful way to people around you? How do you know that you are viewing yourself the way you ought to be viewed?
How do you know that you aren't being harsh with yourself? Who told you what harshness is? How you and your subjective self and your body know what love is? I don't think we individually and collectively know what love is. I think we have to be taught what love is. We know this to be true. Uh, there are cases of feral children, children who are separated from other human beings. They grew up in the wild, and they don't know what love is. If you, you can go on YouTube and watch videos of kids who are feral, found later in life, and you can hear the researchers and doctors and scientists talk about how they don't have empathy and how they can't be taught empathy at this point. They don't know how to connect to other people. They don't know how to read facial expressions or emotions. They're not socialized for sure. But even just the basics of what love is, they don't know. And I think that's all of us. We don't know what love is until Jesus speaks. And we can't hear him speaking unless we are connected to him. For me, this was a sobering truth this week. I found myself feeling really grateful that I have connections to love in my life, to people who know love. And I am experiencing on the receiving end of that love. And it continues to feed me and nurture me and, and inform how I love and serve and give to others, how I react in stressful moments, my perception of others, my perception of self. So grateful for it. <clears throat> when I think about my life and my calendar, so much of what drives my rationale for me choosing the activities and the the calendars, the schedule that I have, has to do, I think, with me trying to get loved somehow, to try to earn it in some way. But here's what this passage is teaching me. That activity, busyness, work, and even productivity is less than fruit. That really fruit is what I'm after. I don't want to just do stuff. I don't want to just keep myself busy. I want to be informed by love from above how I should spend my life. I trust values that may or may not coincide with societal or cultural values. I don't wholesale trust culture to know how I should spend my time who I should be, and who I am, and who I am not. Culture, society, my friends, even my family of origin, nobody is worthy of that job. Because if I listen to all those voices, my life will be active, I will be busy, I will be working hard, I will even be productive. But it doesn't mean that I am bearing fruit. And this is one of those crossroads for some of you. You have to decide that you're not going to just stay busy, but you're going to abide in Christ, receive instruction from above, and bear fruit. Not just do stuff. Not just get somewhere. Not just accomplish something. But bear fruit. 
If you abide in God, you will experience his love. He loves you and you will experience it. It will begin to shape you and from that, you will bear fruit. One way that we are phrasing this at our church is belong to a body, abide in this local church, connect to the church, connect to each other, belong to one another. It's a community where you don't have to fit in. Fitting in is different than belonging. Fitting in means you have to wear a mask. It means you have to be something you're not so that you can be accepted by what you do. And belonging says, no, you just belong, and you be who you are, and we're going to fearlessly accept you, because when that happens, you have becoming happening in your life. You begin to change, because love, words begin to flow into you. And then with that love, you can engage in a totally different way. Whoever you are, whatever you do, you bear fruit. Belong, then become and then engage. That's what the pastor says. Abide. Be transformed. And then engage. Bear fruit. Ask anything of, the, of God. He will do it for you if you are connected, if you are becoming. Because what you want to do is what God wants you to do. He will empower you to do. He will resource you to do. Let me put it a different way. Matthew 22, 37, 40 says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like you love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let me give you an alternate translation. Be loved in your heart, soul, and mind by the Lord your God. This is the first and greatest human task. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you are loved. All things that are true and worthy of your pursuits hang on these two commandments. Be loved in your heart, soul, and mind by the Lord your God. This is the first and greatest human task. Now, I thought this is like the easy way out, like loving God is the harder thing, it's the more noble thing, and then being loved is sort of passive, and you just sort of just get to sit and grow fat, you know? But when I think about this, just one second more, here's what I came to. Actually, it's way harder to be loved than to do the loving. I fight against being loved. It is uncomfortable being loved. Do you know why? Because I'm more comfortable when I can earn something. If I can be really, really good looking, which I am, <laughs> and you love me, I have control over you. I feel safe with you because I determine the terms of our relationship. If I can really provide value for you, then I'm safe. I get to keep my job, right? I have control. But if I am nothing, if I, if I don't have that kind of control, and yet you love me anyway, then you have the control. Then I have to humble myself and receive. And I don't know if you're going to stop or when you're going to stop or what I did to earn it or what I do to stop it. 
I have no say. And it feels kind of like an indictment. I think, wait a minute, don't I, shouldn't I merit this love? It's kind of like, honey, why do you love me? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I love you because I'm loving. It has nothing to do with you. You're, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And even that, I put you there. <laughs> right? That's very uncomfortable. Being loved by God is the first and greatest human task. That's us humbling ourselves to say, I don't deserve it. I can never deserve it. In fact, I deserve something whole other, wholly other, and yet you give me love. Then when I receive it, I admit that I am nothing, that I am not something. I admit I can't have control. I don't have control. I admit I need you. I admit you're my lifeline. I admit you're the good-looking one in the room, it turns out. And I'm at your mercy. And that's hard. But the ripple effects of this simple reality that if we are loved, if we pursue being loved by God, somehow that is the most transformative power in the universe. And it surges inside of me, causing me to love my neighbor, not with my own love, but with the way that I myself am loved by God. So it's God's love coursing not just into me, but through me, out of me. This is the way the universe was designed. Everything sprouts from the soil of God's love. And then we can be love. Verse 11 and 12, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's not just as your parents loved you. It's not just as your friends. It's not just as you think they deserve or you are capable of, but just as God has loved. That's the standard. That's what love is. And so if you turn around and try to love neighbor without being loved, you're going to fail. That relationship is going to go south. You're going to reach a tension point or a conflict point. You're not going to get past it. At some point, you need God's love to get through conflict so that forgiveness enters the room, so, yet, so other-centeredness enters the room, so that humility enters the room. This is the only way we can love. And so Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this. What he's saying is, none of you, whatever you think you have, that's not love. That one lay down his life for his friends. This is self-referencing on Christ's part. He's not describing degrees of love, but he's saying this is the definition of what I do, who I am. I'm the source of love. This is it. Everything is just a poor imitation. The love of God, this is what Christians believe. And if you believe this, you are a Christ follower. The love of God that is made incarnate, that is made tangible and visible in the death of of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, is what love is. Amen. So if you're sitting here and say, well, well, sounds like a lot of other religions, it's about love, it's about God, we get it. Nope, this is exclusive. God's love 
was perfectly made manifest and accessible to us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Christ. If you believe this, that's the word of God. That's the seed. And this love, the Bible teaches, is beyond comprehension, imagination, or experience. It's alien. It's new. It's different. Everything else has been imitations of this love. It's been shadows of this love. It's echoes of this love. But this love is here now. The actual thing is here in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's the only way to access this love is the teaching of Scripture. So, a couple more equations. Love, that's God's love, is greater than our love. God's love leads to our love. So application here, um, the leadership team, the board, and the staff, we met together with a consultant for three grueling days, and we're trying to figure out how to actually be more fruitful as a church. We actually talked about doing lots of less things because we're not after activity, we're after fruit. And we asked the question, how can we bear fruit that remains? And that's what that brainstorming looks like. It's <laughs> really not that exciting. <laughs> Why Joseph looks more like a woman and Katie like him? I don't know. <laughs> that's their own relationship. We'll leave it to them. So we'll conclude with this verse here. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You don't love me. You don't win me. You don't woo me. You don't earn me. You don't deserve me. I choose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. He's saying, I chose to love you. I took you a lost branch, and I connected you to me. And then I spoke my love to you so that you could bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. We are a local expression of this idea. We're inviting you to belong, become, and engage. Uh, I want to invite you now uh, to the table here. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect for communion today. This table that we have set before you today is about love. It's about God's love. It's not about your loveliness, though you are. But it's not about that at all. It's about Christ choosing us at the cost of his life so that he can be a source, the ground of love for us. And from that ground, we can bear fruit in our life. He doesn't want us enslaved to cultural values, to demands of our society. But he wants you to be defined by what he appoints you to do. And you have this choice. It's not that you don't. You can choose to not just be busy or not just be productive, but to bear fruit. But it all begins by coming to the table and saying, this is where I belong. And it's at this table that I will become. And it's from this table that I will be sent out to engage the world with God's love. 
In our church, we practice what's called open communion. It's an open table. You don't have to be a Swedish covenanter to partake of communion. You don't even have to belong to this church. But if you believe that God's love has been made manifest and accessible to the world through Christ, then you come to the table. And if you want to believe that today, you come to the table and partake of the table and through the elements, experience God's love. And so let's spend some time, see if we can soak in God's love that's been made ready for us.